And so if you've got your Bibles, um, we're still working through Colossians. Go to, make sure you're in Colossians chapter 4, um, and also be in, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 um, and chapter 2 as well. And so we're near the end of Colossians, um, but we've still got several weeks here. I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, this study as well. I looked, I think I looked yesterday, and we've, we've been here for about six months or so. And so we started out fast, and we're starting to slow down um, a little bit. Um, and I'll, I'll try to get us done here in the next month or so. We'll see what happens. No promises. So <laughs> uh, now that I have my notes in front of me, I'm going to pray for us. And please join me in prayer. Don't just stare at the floor in front of me, uh, in front of you, I mean. And so uh, pray with me um, just for our time here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, God. Um, I pray that we can choose to be thankful even if we don't feel thankful. God, thank you that we woke up today. Uh, God, thank you that we, um, we have a, a, a building to meet in. God, thank you for air conditioning. Uh, Lord, thank you that you fed us this week. Uh, my guess is none of us went, went hungry against our will. And so thank you just that you constantly provide. You constantly provide. Even though like a spoiled child, I constantly complain. And so uh, just thank you, Lord. I pray that we'd be people of thankfulness and people of prayer. Um, and we pray specifically right now. Uh, we pray for this time. We pray for the next 30, 40 minutes. Uh, Lord, we pray that um, this time would be holy, that it would be set apart for you. We pray against distractions. We pray that we would not give ourselves over to distractions. Uh, we pray that, that you would help us focus for a time. God, we need to hear from you. And Lord, we know, we know that you're speaking. I'm not praying that you'll speak because you speak. Uh, so we, we're, our prayer is that we would just listen. And God, I, I don't pray for you to be here because you're here. I, I pray that we would be aware of your presence. Because if we're truly aware that God is with us, and if we truly are listening to us, that's going to change things. That'll change lives. And so, uh, Lord, and, and exactly like Marty prayed, I pray that um, anything that's said that's of you, I pray you'd write it on our hearts, not just on our notes, but on our hearts. And, and like he said, anything that's said, if it's not of you, I pray we just forget it. That's it. We just forget it. Um, and so we devote this time um, to you, Lord, and um, we just need to hear from you. And we pray that your, uh, your words, we will allow them to have an effect in our lives, that we won't fight you. And so this is our prayer. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so if you're in Colossians chapter 4, I'm just going to jump in. I feel like I have a lot to cover, uh, and, and I'd like to try to cover it all. I usually don't get through everything I want to say. Uh, but Colossians chapter 4, I've already mentioned, Paul, this is a letter uh, that Paul wrote. We're going to do a little bit of history on this because this is important. Uh, you remember Colossians chapter 4 is one of the, they're called one of the prison epistles, but they're really the house arrest epistles. This was one that Paul, at, you, you know, when you read Acts, at the end of Acts, Paul ends up in Rome um, and he's going in, under house arrest. And that's how Acts ends. That's not the end of Paul's ministry. And then while he's under house arrest, he's there for a couple years. And uh, he was able to have visitors come and go, um, and he was also able to 
write some letters. And so if you remember at the beginning of Colossians, this guy shows up, Epaphras, who is the pastor of Colossae, and he shows up, and they had met before, and he says, Paul says, what's going on? And he says, here's what's going on with my church. And Paul says, I've got a word from the Lord for me, from you. And so he sits down and he writes this letter and he says, I'm going to entitle it Colossians. Um, and then he says, hey, while you're heading that direction, I've, I, I need to send a couple other letters with you as well. Can I do that? And Epaphras says, sure. And, and so he says, here's, here's a general letter and I'm going to... Um, Actually, he didn't title it. It was titled later. But he says, I want this one passed around to all the churches in the area. This one's about the church. And it later became known as Ephesians. Um, And then um, he also said, oh, and here, I need you to send one more really personal letter. Um, It's it's I'm going to sign it. It's to this guy uh, Philemon here. And I need you to take that with you as well. And we know for sure uh, that all three of those were sent in one uh, time that that Paul said here, uh, I want you to take this. And he hands it to a man. Now think about this. Think about the importance of this. How rare, this isn't an email. This isn't a text message. This isn't a a TikTok thing. See how relevant I am? TikTok? Yeah. No, this is something that's extremely difficult to pass messages. Takes a long time. and what Paul does is he, is he writes these letters and, and he, he looks around. And you remember, he's not alone. He's got friends there. And he says, who am I going to send? Who am I going to have this send this letter with? This is pretty, this is pretty important. And he looks around and there's all these guys. And he, he decides on, he sends it with several people. But he, he decides on, look at chapter 4, verse, um, uh, look at verse uh, 7. Verse 7 reads, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a, listen to how he describes this man. We're just studying this man today. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him, and here it is in plain black and white, right? I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And then look, he is coming with Onesimus. Remember, that's the slave that ran away. He's returning to Philemon, uh, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. And so we're going to look at this guy, uh, Tychicus, today. And he is a guy um, that Paul thinks uh, very highly of. What we're going to see is he and Paul had spent years together. They've been through some very difficult um, times together. And I want to point out and just look at these things that he says about this man, because he's other places um, in the scriptures as well. And the first thing I want to point out, verse 7, when he's describing this man, Tychicus, look how he describes him. He says, he's a dear brother. He's a faithful minister and a fellow servant. Let me say this. None of those are resume fillers. Do you see that? The, the, the quality of, of this man um, has nothing to do with his accomplishments, with his education, uh, with his job. Um, it has everything to do with his character and whose he is in the Lord, right? There's, there's no big successes there. And I want to spend a few minutes and look through these three things. He says, he's a dear brother, he's a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. Okay, and so those three things, uh, number one, he says he's a dear brother. Okay, this guy Tychicus. He is one, now that is not something that he does, that's who he is. And there's some important theology uh, behind that, is that as believers, and, and we hear this a lot, um, and, I, and I hope we actually receive it, 
is that what, who we are has nothing to do with what we've done. Are y'all with me on that? This is why he doesn't say he's a beloved friend. He says what? He's a beloved brother, okay? Um, is that he was, um, he was, and you know how this works. I, I hope you do by now, is that when we're born, we're born separated from God and that what we have to do is, is the Lord says that we are born under the wrath of God. We are born under condemnation. And then because of Jesus, and I say this a lot because I have to hear this. Because of Jesus Christ, every single drop of God's just wrath was absorbed on the cross. Every single drop of his just wrath. Not an angry God. He is just in his wrath. And all of it was absorbed by Jesus on the cross. And so what this means is that for those that are uh, in Christ or, the, or the, the Baptist turn is those who are born again, as Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter three, those who are reborn, this is what it means is that all of uh, what you've accomplished, all of your successes mean nothing because our entire justification is based on what Jesus Christ has done and it's continuing to do. And so when God looks at Russell, he doesn't look at a guy who struggles with anger, uh, who, who struggles with perfectionism. He sees the perfect image of Jesus Christ, and there is no wrath for you if you're in Christ. Are you with me on that? God's wrath has been absolutely satisfied, okay? And if we get that wrong, then we're always going to be trying to earn something that we already have. It's like the prodigal son when he returns. You know this story, Luke chapter 15. You remember he returns to the father, and what does he say? He says, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son, which by the way is true. And then you remember his, his speech? He's going to say, let me work as one of the hired hands. Let me try to earn your love. And the father says, stop. He says, stop. He says, you're my son. I don't, I don't care what you've been doing. You never weren't my son. You were behaving like it. But we are united. Man, and he says, come here, come here, right? And this is what it means to be, this is why I want to point this out. He's a fellow dear brother, is that we are reborn into a family. And I don't know, um, I don't know how your family is, but, but my family, we've got some bumps in there. You know what I mean? There's some weirdos. Every family has the awkward cousin, everyone. And if right now, if you're thinking, I don't know who our awkward cousin is, then you are him. You're the one, right? Every family has the weirdos. Every family has the ones that you're like, I just don't mesh with this guy. But here's the beautiful thing about that. You can look at it two, one of two ways. One, you can look at it and we can sit here and complain that my family isn't the tanners off of Full House, that, that my tanners, uh, that my family isn't the, the, the Winslows off of um, Family Matters. We can sit here and complain and we can point fingers. Or number two, did you know you can find incredible peace in that? The fact that I can look at my family and the fact that I know that I know that I know that, that my sister, she's got my back no matter what. There is peace in that. That I can look and I can say, my cousins in Oklahoma, my cousins in Florida, they've got my back no matter what. There's incredible peace in that. And so I always want to make sure that I'm not talking to individuals, I'm, I'm speaking to our church right now. Please find peace in that. And that as you look around this room, and for some of us that aren't here, don't, don't look around and say, oh, I can't stand these people. We're, we're so different. They're nothing like me. That's good, first of all. And secondly, find peace in that and the reality that we are committed to one another. 
right? We don't choose our family, but there's, there's incredible peace in that. And some of y'all, I hope, I think some people are learning how to let down their guard, how to let, take off that armor and just be vulnerable. And oh my gosh, it's incredible. Or you can, you can guard yourself your entire life and look impressive and be, and, and by the way, no one's impressed. Can I, can I just say that? No, nobody cares about your job. Honestly, nobody cares about how much debt you're in because of a giant house. Nobody, nobody cares. We're not impressed. Find peace in that, man. And I hope that that's in our mission statement is we want to share lives to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to set captives free. I think one of the biggest things we're captive is just have, we have our defenses up all the time that we've got to look impressive. Man, embrace that. that, that, he's a, that I love that Tychicus is a dear brother. And Paul's saying, I'm committed to him. I don't care what he does, right? Born into that family, not worked into it. Uh, Look at the second thing he says about him. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother. The second thing, a faithful minister, okay? And now this is more of what he does, right? Paul is talking a little bit about what he does because what we do does matter, Okay, um, it does. I, I love that he says he's a faithful minister. A question I ask in here all the time, and I always get people roll my eyes at me. I can't remember though. Do we have anyone in this room who's in full time ministry right now? I can't remember. Anyone is anyone in full time ministry? Hold on, let me ask again. Is anyone in full time ministry? A full, okay, that's right, I I can never remember, right? And so remember the reality is that we are all in full-time ministry. And so let's go back to what Tyler and and Sam said. Our our neighbors, that's our mission field. Where we go to the gym, that's our mission field. As I'm at the gym, like the guys, you know the guys that, the gym is a weird place for guys. It just is. Girls, you guys sit around and talk and have fun and compliment each other and talk about your active wear. For guys, it's just different. For guys, it's so weird. Um, I don't, and, and I struggle with talking to guys. I don't know what to do with my hands. And sometimes I, I try to be nice, but honestly, I, I think I've flirted with some guys on accident. I'm just being honest. Where I come away and I'm like, I think I just hit on that guy. Because I don't know, I'm still learning. Um, but point being is that, is that, and man, the, the Holy Spirit's starting to talk to me about this and convict me, and, and I, and I, I want to be a man that says yes, is that I'm, I'm at that point, you know, you go to the gym, and it doesn't matter if there's a hundred people there or if it's me and one other dude, no matter what, if you're a man, you pretend like he doesn't exist. Are you with me on that? Like he's not even there. You don't even say hi or anything, but I'm starting to recognize, you know, you do that thing where you glance over and you make eye contact, and it's like, I recognize him. I know he recognizes me. Like, that we both know that we're, and, and I, that's, I think that's the Holy Spirit saying, Russell, you need to go introduce yourself. Russell, don't flirt with him, okay? <laughs> but Russell, just, just step one. Because if you're like me, I'm thinking, okay, time to go talk to Jesus about that guy. And, and the Lord says, would you just chill out? Would you just go get his name? Would you just let him know that you care about him, right? And so this is what it means to be a faith full minister, is that uh, I don't, you know, the measure of our life is not in our success, but in our faithfulness, you know, the, the God changes the world through tiny things that will never be written in history books. Have you recognized that yet? I, um, I'm not going to have a book written about me, 
I'm not. Probably nobody in this room will. Sorry, I'm super encouraging today, right? We love the underdog story. We love, we love it. But in, but in, this, in this world, um, no, no one's going to shout my name, right? Uh, and this is really depressing. Does anyone know the first and last name of your great-great-grandparents? Honestly, anyone? Like I said, super encouraging today. It's okay if you do. Okay, one, that's good. That's good. Maybe two, that's good. Okay. Uh, but my point isn't, isn't to say what you do doesn't matter. It's actually quite the opposite. These tiny things we do have such an impact in eternity. And, and this is why we, I love that it's, it's about being a faithful minister. You notice it doesn't say successful minister. Do you see that? It says faithful minister, right? And so this is why even with me in the past year, you know, because I, I want to be successful. I want to be a successful church plant, a successful pastor, right? And I think, well, what does that mean? And we, we cannot lose sight of it. It means being faithful. Right, and and if that means that that uh, that we don't grow to a, a thousand church, I want to be okay with that. A thousand person church, I just want to be faithful. It's like I think of Isaiah, the prophet, who's extremely faithful. And if church history serves us correctly, his congregation rejected his message, didn't want anything to do with him, and they actually sawed him in half. Right. So I'm hoping 2021 will be better than that for Russell. I'm hoping that's not my story, right? But Isaiah is numbered amongst the faithful in Hebrews, right? That God, and oh, guys, don't miss this. That, that Isaiah, who, who from a success standpoint, huge failure. That when he walked up and saw Jesus face to face, Jesus said, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Gosh, guys, I, we want to be people of being faithful ministers, not successful. That's not our goal. And I, I love that he says that he is a faithful minister, right? And think about this, and just be honest here. Had anyone ever heard of Tychicus before today? In this room, one, okay? I'm not trying to make you feel bad. He, he's the reason we have Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, right? Ha, has, I've never seen a book written about him. Even as I studied the past couple weeks, it's hard to find information on him. But what he did, that tiny thing, faithful to what God entrusted him. He, he's, Paul said, hey, take this letter and go, go with Onesimus and take this back. Man, faithful, uh, more than uh, successful. Um, another thing I want to point out about Tychicus is that he was there uh, for the long haul. If you go, <clears throat> let's, let's go look real quick. It's going to be fast. Go left to Acts chapter 20. So Acts chapter 20, this is, um, this is in Paul's third missionary journey. Acts chapter 20, uh, verses, uh, just look in verse 1. This is when Tychicus is first introduced. This is on Paul's third missionary journey. It says, when the uproar had ended, that's in Ephesus, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye, um, and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. 
because the Jews made a plot against him just as he was about to sail for Syria. He decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristocris, uh, and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derme, Timothy, there's Timothy, um, Antichicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on. Did you hear it, by the way? Did you even hear his name? Right? So this is where he first appeared. On Paul's third missionary journey, this guy walks up Tychicus and he says, I feel like I'm called to, to come with you. And this is what I want to also point out. Um, now flip right, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Well, actually, you don't, need to know, you don't need to go there, I'll just say it. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is the end of where we hear of Tychicus. And here's the interesting thing about 2 Timothy chapter 4 is chronologically, that's the last book that Paul wrote. Okay, all the the other ones, um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, those were written, people call them the prison epistles. He wasn't in prison. They're the house arrest epistles. Second Timothy is a prison epistle. It's after Paul's fourth missionary journey and after he had been abducted, and now he's in a Roman prison. And when you read Second Timothy, it is a very sad book. It is his last book he ever wrote. Okay, in his other epistles, Paul was always expecting to be released. He would say, hey, when I come and visit you, he'd talk about his chains, but he would say things like, hey, uh, keep that bed ready because I'm going to come see you pretty soon. And in his other epistles, he would write things like, hey, I pray that I will finish the race that God has set before me. When you read 2 Timothy, he is alone. He's in a dungeon. Uh, he's not, he's, he's, he's not uh, sorry, he's not completely alone, but he feels completely alone. And his wording changes. He no longer expects to get out. But now in 2 Timothy, instead of saying, hey, I pray that I will finish the race, what does he say? He says, I have finished the race. And so 2 Timothy is when Paul knows. This is when Nero's under power. This is the guy that's literally burning Christians alive at nighttime uh, just, to, just to provide light, Right? And in 2 Timothy, and you'd never, rec- you'd never see it unless you're looking for it, guess who's there? Guess who he talks about? Tychicus. And so this is what I want to point out, is that Tychicus appears, Paul's third missionary journey, when all this incredible stuff was happening. And here's, here's the thing I want to say, and, and hopefully this, some of y'all will catch what, what I'm throwing here. At the end, when it's no longer cool, when it's no longer sexy, when, when being a Christian costs you something, when it's a danger to your life to serve the Lord, when you can not love Jesus and love your own comfort at the same time, who's there? Tychicus, right? He is a faithful servant. And so um, I have this written down. How we finish is so much more important than how we start. Right, um, and and I have this written written down as well. Tychicus's labor, and we're going to see other men. That's the exact opposite. His labor for the Lord lasted longer than his passion. I'm going to say that again. His labor for God lasted longer than the passion. Right. Our world is changing right now. I don't know if you noticed that Christianity is under attack. 
It is. Um, it's even, and, and, and you know, I, I don't watch the, I, I'm very careful with the news. I don't follow it because it's like, what's even real anymore? But I'm starting, you, have you noticed how secretly churches are, are starting to get broken up? And, and, how, and I think it's the work of the devil. I really do, right? Um, and how if you start, but guys, here's the thing. It's not, a, it's not a pitchfork and fire. What it is is people saying, oh, well, we need to be safe. And it's acceptable and it's slow and it's, it's not noticeable. It's not black and white. It's a thousand shades of gray, right? It's a slow fade. And I think the world is, uh, the church is under attack. And guys, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we're going to see a lot of people fall off because pretty soon, and, and even, I think even today, people are starting to see, can I serve God and serve my own comfort at the same time, right? Like when Paul was in a prison, and who was there? Tychicus, right? That for him to say, I follow Jesus, brother, it costs something, right? That it may cost a job, that it may cost unbelievable, our health, right? That it may cost us something to faithfully minister, right? This is why I love this man, right? He was there at the beginning, but at the end, which, which by the way, go read 2 Timothy, and Paul says, everyone's deserted me. He says, Tychicus is, is here with me, with me, right? And there's a couple other guys there. I won't spoil it. Spoiler alert, Right? But that, man, that, that's what I want to be. Like, I want to be the guy, and, and please don't, this isn't prophetic. Guys, I'm, I'm just reading the Bible. This is what Jesus says. He says, in the end days, people are going to be lovers of selves. He says they're going to be lovers of money. He says, sin will be called good, and good will be called evil. And he says, and many will fall away. And you, if you know me, I'm, I'm not a scare tactic guy. You all know that, right? I'm look, all these people know me. Some of y'all have never known me. I'm not a scare tactic guy. I don't believe in scaring the hell out of people to get them to heaven. I don't. But I do believe in saying that we have to be faithful and say, hey, this is exactly what Jesus said is going to happen. And, and man, one day we're going to stand before Jesus face to face. And some of us, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I gave you the ministry of, of uh, I gave you an autistic child to minister to that kid 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you were faithful. Well done. And some people are going to say, I gave you the ministry of running a household where, where the, the family is uh, centered around the Word of God, and you raised children underneath the teaching of Scripture and underneath the, the uh, grace of the gospel. And he's going to say, well done. And there's going to be some that he's going to look at and say, you lost your job. You even lost your health. You lost friends because of me. The world looked at you and said, you are a failure, but well done, good and faithful servant, not successful, faithful. Uh, and then the last thing he says is he's a fellow uh, servant. Uh, and I already said this, uh, Tychicus, his labor lasted longer um, than his passion. And I have this written down, and I think this word, it's, it's almost like a dirty word in, 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 in the Bible belt. Like the, the generation before me 
for the most part, was kind of a lot of law was taught to them, a lot of, hey, you have to do this and do this, and Jesus will love you. And like it happens in every generation is the next generation does what? Is the exact opposite, okay? That's why you can see it in politics, liberal, conservative. That's why you can see it in church liturgy that right now we're swinging back towards more liturgical church that the next generation says, hey, let's bring in some creeds and stuff like that. And none of that's wrong or right. It's just a thing, right? You can see it with the way you're parenting. If you have a a helicopter parent, most likely you're gonna be a parent that's distant. It's just how it is, right? And so anyways, the generation before me, they're the ones that were raised on, hey, do this, do that, and God will love you. And so this generation, uh, we're swinging the other way. And, and in response, I think we're so afraid of the word discipline that we think it means, oh, no, you put me under the law again, right? Have you all ever seen this? Because I've seen it personally, right? With this idea of, hey, how are, how are you disciplined in studying God's word? Stop it. I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace. What? I didn't say you're not under grace, but there's a discipline to grace. No, you stop that. I've, Jesus Christ set me free. And, and the, we use the example of, it's like the child banging on the keys of a piano, screaming, freedom! Is that kid free? Yes. Is that appealing to anyone? No. Versus the person, the, the musician who f- for thousands of hours has disciplined themselves, that they can play anything they want to on that piano. Is that dude free? Yes. And is that drawing people in? Yes, it is. This disciplined grace is what draws people in, not screaming and banging on the keys that I can do whatever I want and just put my middle finger up at the church and at God and say, I don't give a crap what you say. I'm free in Christ. That's true, but man, you're really doing some damage. Anyways, uh, point being is, why did I say all that? Oh, all that to say this for this one sentence, and don't be afraid of this. It's a, we must learn to be disciplined because we can't always be motivated, okay? And that's true with the, with the way I study Scripture. That's true with my prayer life. Um, did you know that's true of how I love my kids? Did you know that's true of how I show love to my wife? Is I'm not always motivated, right? Um, that I, I, I encourage you guys, I always want to be practical. I hope you schedule time for Bible study. I hope you schedule time for prayer. I hope you schedule time for service, etc. Um, and the reason is because I don't always, I don't always uh, feel like doing what's best for me, right? That's true. Of, some, this is where some of y'all amen. When it comes to eating well, I don't always feel like eating well. When it comes to exercise, I don't always feel like exercising. Uh, when it comes even to a healthy sleep schedule, I don't always feel like it. But in my physical life, in my spiritual life, in my emotional life, it's good and it's healthy to be disciplined in those things. You know, um, in college, I worked at uh, Dillard's um, in the big and tall section. I don't know why. And <laughs> talk about profiling. Could I sue them for that now? It feels like I could, right? Uh, um, but anyways, and so, you know, we'd close at 9 and get out of there by 9.30. And it was college, so it was stupid and you could do whatever you want. And I remember I'd, I'd get off work at 9.30 and I'd drive home. And it was, it was a regular routine that I would drive by Walmart. I would get a pack of Jimmy Dean sausage, the, the kind that's just all ground up. And I would get the spicy, not the regular, right? And, and I would go home and make it into patties because I didn't know how to make food. And that night, I would eat that entire thing of sausage. It's spicy. And the next morning, I would feel fantastic. 
Like it didn't, it didn't affect me at all, right? Now, Russell, I've just turned 36. I'm starting to turn the corner. I have to be more disciplined in the way I eat. Is that a bad thing? That's actually pretty good, right? Um, even with exercise, I used to do, be able to do anything I wanted to, and it's not the case anymore. Um, several months ago, we were at, uh, Kenzie and I had taken the girls to Urban Air, which is the indoor trampoline park thing, and they have a climbing wall that you can climb. And Ellabel loves to climb, and so she's like, Dad, come climb with me. I said, okay. And, and then Ellabel was like, Mom, will you videotape us? And, you know, Mom's like, yes. And so then Ellabel and I are climbing, and, and you know, we, we race to the top and bottom, and I beat her, and she's shocked. And I'm like, I'm not like a potato sack. Like, I can do things. Um, and then afterwards we go, and we, I watch the video. And have you ever done this where you, where you see a, an angle of yourself that you've never seen before? <laughs> and because um, and, you know and that's how guys are it's like when guys look in the mirror like we're just like yes and, and no matter what but I saw an angle of myself I'd never seen before and I like I was there was a lot of mass right here from under looking up and I, and I looked at Kinsey and I go am I getting fat and she goes, and I, this is why she's so sweet, man. She goes, no, you're just, you're just wider than you used to be. And I said, that's fat. That's what it is to be fat. And she was trying to be so kind. And um, here, so, so here's my point is that I used to exercise and try to gain weight and gain muscle and lots of protein. And, and, and now I have to be disciplined in my exercise that I have to work out my heart and my lungs right? Because I want to be healthy. And so my entire point is that to learn to be disciplined because we're not always um, motivated. Um, and so let's look at the last thing here about this man, Tychicus. Uh, verse 8, Paul says, I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So let me say two things there. Number one, notice this. Paul, and, and really I should say the Holy Spirit, looked at Tychicus and says, I'm, I'm putting a message in you. Don't, don't miss this. He says, I need you to take this message. But, but the Holy Spirit working through Paul said to Tychicus, I'm putting a message in you. And not only are you going to deliver this message for me, but there has to be a message that comes out of your throat as well. Do you see that? And, and don't miss this, is that the Holy Spirit chose to not disclose everything in the book of Colossians. He chose, he says, this is the message, Tychicus, I want you to tell to the church at Colossae, right? And this is how God works through his people, right? Is, is that, yes, we, we are people of the Word of God. Yes, we, we want to bring people underneath good teaching, and we want to go on Facebook and say, hey, watch our church or whatever. But God wants to use you, put a message inside of you that comes out of your throat that's particular to that situation, right? That, that's what it means that when we say, we don't worship the Bible. That's what it means when we say the, the written word testifies to what? The living word in you. That's what this thing does. Everything in here points to Jesus Christ in you. 
and it ignites it and it testifies and says, hey, I'm going to come out of through your vocal cords, through your throat, out your mouth, and into this exact person's situation, to your neighbors, to your gym, people at your gym, to your barista, to your coworkers, etc. And second thing I want to say, he says, I'm sending him for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And this is something that... Um, I, th- I feel like I'm always at the risk of being like, like a robot. Like I promise I have emotions. I promise I almost cried in Toy Story 3. Almost. Like I promise. Um, and, and I feel like sometimes it I comes off as like I'm, I'm like a tough love guy, right? Uh, but I want you guys to remember that word encourage right there. Do you see it? That word in Scripture in the original Greek, it means to comfort, to encourage, and to exhort. And that word exhort, remember, the word exhort is a powerful word. The word exhort, the prefix ex, it's just like the word exhale or to exhume a body. If I come up to you and and I'm trying to exhort you, notice, I'm not putting anything in you. What am I doing? I'm drawing out what's already in there. That's what it means to exhale, to exhume a body. So when I come up to exhort you, me exhorting you isn't saying, hey, you need to do better. You need to do this different. Me exhorting you is to saying, hey, what's the Holy Spirit speaking into your heart right now? Breathe that out then, right? Breathe it out. And so he says, I'm here to encourage your hearts. And part of exhorting, part of encouraging, and part of loving one another is that There are times when you may get exhorted that it hurts your feelings. Have you ever done that? And we think, when we hear the word encourage, we think, well, you can't hurt my feelings. Yeah, you can. (laughs) Because my feelings are not my God. I'll say it again. There are times when to exhort someone means, hey, this is going to hurt your feelings, but I need to to speak what's already in you, right? And if you're like me, we've got these lists of false excuses, and part of exhorting someone means, I love you enough to point out your false excuses, right? And so, you know, the list goes on and on. You can say, well, I don't, I don't speak well. Um, I'm, I'm not impressive. Uh, what if I mess up, right? All these things. Um, and those, those words are, those are victim words, by the way. And we live in a victim society, and what our world constantly will tell us is if you can manipulate the, the situation to where you're the victim, then no one will hold you accountable. And the Christian church doesn't work that way. That Jesus looks at his church and he says, no, no, you're, you're actually, it's not that you're not a victim. He says, you're, you're actually above these things. He says, you're, and he says, no, no, you're actually like a conqueror. And he says, no, that's not even good enough. He says, you are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. We're not a victim of anything, Right? And this is where it's going to get tough here. I'm not a victim of my childhood. Right? It's not who I am. It doesn't define me, but it's part of what has shaped me. Let me say that again. If you're in Christ, you're not a victim of bad parenting. And I'm I'm not, and I hope you hear my heart. Y'all know my heart on this? And this is plaguing our culture. If you're in Christ you are not a victim of a mental disability. And this is coming from a guy who suffers severely from depression. And yes, I take medication, I do, and I believe in it. But that's, I'm not a victim of it. 
Jesus actually says, you're, you're, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, and you are actually more than a conqueror in that. And I may keep that thorn in your flesh, but I want to use it for others, right? Because I'm starting to hear it more and more, is this, this victim language of, yes, I'm called to encourage and exhort, but I, I'm, I'm really nervous getting in front of people. That's a victim. That's a victim mentality, right? Or I was, I was raised this, or you don't understand my home life. I, do, I know I don't understand, but I know that you're more than a conqueror, right? Or even I've got these, here's some super Christian victim phrases. I told it this probably isn't fun for y'all. It's not fun for all. This is exhorting. Uh, one is, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling with what to do here. Can we stop? Can we stop? Like, with re- I'm, in the context of relationships, if there's tension in a relationship, I don't know what to do. Can we just stop? Because, yeah, you do. You pick up the phone, you call that person, and you say, hey, I, I want us to work towards a solution. And you say, I need to apologize for what I did to arrive here. I need to ask for your forgiveness. And so this is what I mean. But do you see how it sounds super spiritual? I'm waiting to hear what God wants me to do. Can we just stop? Can we just stop? Well, I'm going to send him a text. No, you're not. <laughs> well, let me send him an email. No. no. Well, let me, let me think about it. No. For a couple of days, yeah. But if we're three months in and you're still thinking about it, guys, can we just stop? The damage that is done by waiting on God. And most of the time, he's waiting on us, right? Those times we think we're waiting on God, he's actually waiting on us. And, and, and sometimes those times that we are struggling I heard this, and man, this, ooh, God, this hit hard. I I heard a quote that said, most of our struggle is just delayed disobedience. Yeah, right? Most of our struggle is just delayed disobedience. And, And this is what it means to exhort, is that when we say, I don't know what to do, and this is why with, with, if I, if I know you, we've had some tough conversations that there are times when I'll look at you and I hope you look at me too and you'll say, Russell, shut up. You know exactly what to do. And you're going to hurt my feelings. But that's exhorting because that's, and, and it's, the Holy Spirit's already spoken to me, right? Um, anyways, and this whole idea of I'm just not ready, that's just victim. That's just uh, victim mentality. And so uh, this guy, Tychicus, uh, I, just the words he used, man, dear brother, faithful minister, fellow servant, and he's looking to encourage your heart. And remember, as a church, uh, these are what we want to be. We want to be, we are a brother, but we want to be dear brothers, right? It's possible to be a brother, but be a real crappy one, right? We, we want to be, here's the thing too, you are a minister, but we want to be faithful ministers, uh, you are a servant, and, and I love this. We want to be fellow servants. We want to work alongside each other. There's no lone rangers here. But again, that's, a, that's another, I think my generation, I think our false gospel, my generation, okay? I think the false gospel of my generation is the individual gospel, that it's just me and Jesus, that I don't need the church, that it's, it's, it's just me and Jesus, Christ in me, um, uh, Christ in me, the hope of glory. It doesn't say that. It says Christ in us. Your English Bible says me, but it's Christ, or the English Bible says Christ in you, but our English, you and you, plural and singular are the same. In the original Greek, it says, no, Christ in y'all. 
And I think that's the false gospel of my generation is I'm just isolated. And I, I love that he says that a fellow servant in the Lord. We're laboring alongside one another. And I use that word labor very much on purpose, that our labor will outlast our passion, right? Is that we're about uh, 12 months into this thing. Is anyone else tired of setting up chairs every week? These speakers, do you know how many times, like, I'm so tired of this. Can I just say it? Russell, like when I wake up on Sunday mornings, you can ask my wife, I'm not passionate to get up here and sweep the floors. I'm not passionate, oh, let's go set up the chairs and make sure we don't drag them because it leaves marks on the floor. I'm not passionate about it, I'm really not. That's a, it's labor. I am passionate about what this produces. I am passionate about the church. I am passionate about what we gain out of this. And so some of y'all, your passion's gone and that's okay, it really is. That's why sometimes we labor for the Lord. And I want to be a fellow servant with you, not an isolated uh, worker that we don't even know each other. Um, that was most of my notes. God, thank you for Tychicus. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for what you can teach us even through this guy that we didn't even know existed. Lord, thank you for uh, your word that it is powerful and that it does not return void. God, uh, thank you that you are working through the church. I think we sometimes, if, we don't, if we're not careful, we think that the church is in trouble. That's a lie from hell. God, you are alive and working in the world. And I pray that we would just say yes. I pray that we wouldn't fight you. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, I pray we wouldn't argue. Lord, I pray that we would... Um, that we would uh, uh, avoid, that we would dismiss victim mentality completely, that we would reject it a thousand percent, and that we would say, it's not that we don't pretend that some of these struggles aren't there, but we would say, that's not who I am, and that we would know, no, I'm, I am a uh, more than a conqueror in Jesus, and that I have incredible power and authority over the enemy. And I pray that we would be people that, to recognize that when we feel attacked from the world or from the enemy, that honestly, we don't have to ask him to leave. We command it. <laughs> like, and there's power in that the, the, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us and that we're not victims. Lord, we are not. And so I pray that we would uh, be people of truth and love um, and that you would show us not only what to say, but how to say it, because how we say things is just as important as what we say. And that we would be people of picking up the phone and calling one another, that we would be people of personal communication, that we would be people of uh, personal dialogue, and we'd give up the illusion We'd give up the illusion of uh, communicating through, through text and email. It's just, it's just false. It just doesn't work. Um, and Lord, I pray that we'd be faithful fellow servants, that we'd work together. I love the people in this room, God. I do. I do. I have loved laboring alongside them. I, I have. I really have. I haven't always been passionate about it. 
but thank you for our laborers, Lord. God, raise up laborers. God, raise up leaders. God, raise up powerful men and women of God. Powerful men and women of your word and men and women of conviction and that we would encourage one another and exhort one another towards love and good deeds, that we would spur one another on, that we would spur one another on. It's a powerful image but that we would do it towards love and good deeds. And, and um, I pray that we would love each other more than we uh, wanted to avoid awkward conversations. Um, God, we know you're working through your church. We know you have a message in us that someone needs to hear, and I pray we just say yes. And so uh, this is our prayer. Love you. Amen.